that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. What's up, everybody? Morton's Law back for another episode here on March the 8th, 2021. Did you miss me? Yeah, I'm sure you did. It's kind of like someone misses herpes, right? Oh, well. So listen, I appreciate your support. Thank you for uh, continuing those anyway who care. (laughs) Uh, Remember, Morton's underscore law on Twitter, where I enjoy abusing celebrities on a consistent basis. I am officially naming myself The Coat. I am the king of all trolls. That is right. The Coat. You've heard of The Goat. I am The Coat. Nobody can touch me on Twitter. I will abuse anybody anytime I want. It's fun. It actually is. It passes the time. But I'm a fair troll. I don't abuse people just to do it. It is always warranted. Definitely warranted. We'll talk about that more later. Have a big show on hand. We're going to talk about the AEW pay-per-view last night. That's going to be in the segment following this one. Sports is going to take a backseat to the last segment for this episode. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I want to say pardon the gap. I know I've been having a lot of gaps between shows, but I've had a lot of stuff going on in my life lately. Uh, This most recent gap was courtesy surgery again. Yes, I know you're like, wait, you just had surgery. That was in December for my knee. And I just had surgery three weeks ago for my shoulder. Cumulative damage, playing sports, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, so pretty much falling apart. That's fun. (laughs) However, this time with the surgery, I mean, my recovery process is a nightmare. But I did have closer, well, it was close in terms of the luck with the anesthesia. See, last time I woke up immediately, this time I was out of it for a couple of hours. It was terrible. I I got sick. I vomited. So I think the doctors are getting closer. Very close. Hopefully next surgery, I don't wake up at all. That is a goal. We can only hope, right? So, what's in the news? Let's go to the headlines, shall we? Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, everybody. Guess what he did? (laughs) Yes, many women have come forward with sexual allegations. I couldn't tell you the number because they're coming out of the woodwork. For inappropriate behavior and advances towards them. I mean, listen. Look at this guy, okay? He's incredible. The ego in this man is second to none. You can only hear him talk at those press conferences that we've been subjected to now for a year. And know this guy is in love with himself. There's no doubt about it. You talk about the whole thing regarding his dating. Then he wins an Emmy. I mean, this this man is, is, is a narcissist. There's no doubt this guy calls out his own name during sex. No doubt about it. You should try it sometime. Um, So, (laughs) he will not resign. I know that he's going to, what, they're going to force him out of the emergency situation. I don't know how that works, but I've heard some stuff. So, yeah, no surprise. I mean, I I could just hear him now. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they go talk to him behind the scenes, and, you know, he just comes out and he goes, You know, no means yes. Ladies, I know you want me. Don't deny it. How can you resist my Italian charm? I mean, really. And more importantly, 
How can you resist my Italian sausage? Look at it. It's here. Touch it. You know, it really doesn't matter how many senior deaths I covered up. They were going to die anyway, let's be honest. I just can't believe everybody's turning their back on me. Remember when I was the fun-loving governor? You know, what happened to all the homosexuals? Are you still with me? And then I can also see him like having a conversation, albeit how much he hates Trump. I could, I could just hear this conversation. You know, Donald, I know how you feel. Everybody turned against you. And now they're turning against me. You know, Andrew, I told you I was misunderstood. Allegations come out of the woodwork. They can't prove anything. Andrew, you know, we should double date sometime. And and just so you know, I'm going to say this on the low. Chloroform works best when they say no. Yeah, so, I just, I mean, look, are you surprised, be honest, are you surprised with anything you hear that comes out regarding politicians? Most of these people are pieces of fucking shit. There's no way around it. Whether you're on the right or the left, you should not be surprised. It's amazing how some people will support their side regardless. Like, I don't care, you've heard this podcast many times. I dump on Trump, I dump on Cuomo. If you're an asshole, I'm going to dump on you. That's how it is. You know, I almost said that like like the Italians. Hey, if you're a fucking asshole, I'm gonna dump on you. That's how it is, jerk off. Get the fuck out of here. So, news came out that this uh, new stimulus package for the COVID is gonna pass. And I mean, well, it's still being voted on in the Senate and all this complicated stuff that I couldn't tell you about because I don't know what's going on. But hopefully, like people like me who have been out of work for a year due to this pandemic can continue to receive unemployment. I mean, I got notification today that my benefits are running out, and we'll see what happens going forward. I mean, listen, 525,000 people and counting are dead. And you have these, I'm calling them murderers, that's it. I'm calling them murderers, still crying about freedom. You're walking around with your mask off, potentially killing people. These people could die from you being asymptomatic. You think you don't have it, you might have it. And listen, cases are down somewhat, although they've kind of spiked in the last couple of weeks. We don't know anything about these variants. People, listen, you hear about the CDC and Dr. Fauci comes on. They're still unsure. There's no doubt about it. They, they're not sure. And we, we kind of have to sit and wait and see what happens. Is what it is. It sucks, though. It really sucks. But we should care more about people that are dying. It's unfortunate. And I was happy. I'll talk about the NBA later, of course. But uh, I was happy they had a moment of silence for the people that have been lost. Because that, that's been that's been overdue. Long overdue to have a moment of silence for those people. Uh, moving along. You know, what's up with these skinny fat bitches? I'm sorry. I, just, I, I don't get it. I, you see these skinny bitches, but they're fat. It's like they look three months pregnant and have five chins. Have you seen these women? I don't I don't understand. And then conversely, you have regular fat bitches that sometimes have thin faces. I don't get it. Like, I could, I could just hear, like, if Seinfeld were evil, he'd be like, What's the deal with fat bitches? Can they be skinny? Can they be fat? What's the deal? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, look, at the end of the day, God hates women. That's what I think. Alright, so we have a big show coming up next. We're going to talk about wrestling, AEW pay-per-view, and a lot more on that. 
and then sports in the final segment. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Morton's Law coming back after this. Let's get right into the wrestling. Not going to waste any time. Before we talk about the pay-per-view last night, let's just go back a little bit to Wednesday. Because the go-home show is something that is important leading into your pay-per-view. How do you sell your pay-per-view? Now, they had been hyping up the Shaq match for a while now. We've seen it on TNT, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Dynamite. And I couldn't believe that they started the show with this match. I was wait, what are you doing? Why would you start the show with this match? This this should have been at 9 o'clock. Or you can make a case. Well, probably not. You don't want it to go off the air. But at least 9 o'clock. Well, you could have hyped it up. And I, I want to bring up the point about the build that WWE had, which I'm going to talk about later, with the Lashley versus Miz match and their attempt to pop a rating. You know, tease it at the beginning, tease it in the middle, and then you give it to people at the end, hoping via social media you get more people to tune in and see this match because it becomes a bigger deal which is what i thought aew would do a little bit more with this shack match and and just a couple videos vignettes and then it comes on at nine and i think you would get now the rating still did very well the quarter hour was i believe 1.1 million which is one of their best ratings in several months i mean if you remember aew debuted at 1.5 million and has continued to drop so it did work but i know the show dipped as it went on from there which is not a good sign because you want to be able to hold an audience and let's be fair the casual fan doesn't care about aew and that's just wrestling in general right now there's very few casual fans which i've talked about ad nauseum on this broadcast so i really don't understand why they did that at night i think they could have popped even a better rating plus you could have had a good lead in and build towards the show instead of having that big decrease as uh, the show went on. So, I think that was a poor job by Tony Khan and company, but oh well. And, listen, I, when you think about the build to a pay-per-view and how you want to sell it, please explain to me how you're going off the air with a frivolous tag team match with Matt Hardy, John Silver... I don't even know who else was in that match. I just like, what, what am I watching right now? Why do I care about this match? And why? how is it selling your pay-per-view? I firmly believe your main event on your go-home show has to involve your top stars. Because that's what people see going in and like, oh, do I want to buy this? You're seeing John Silver, no offense, or Matt Hardy, like, I don't give a shit about this pay-per-view. Why do I care? How is it possible that Kenny Omega... And John Moxley, I don't think they appeared in person on the show. I think there were video packages. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But how are they, in some way, shape, or form, not in that final segment? That's what I want to see going off the air. Whether it's a, a, a pull-apart, 
whether it's a promo, whether it's a tag match, why don't you put these guys in a tag match, whether they're on the same team, do one of the things they used to do old school, where you'd make two opponents tag team for a night, and then you could have had them against Jericho and MJF, just something to put your stars in your final segment going off the air, plus I think that pops a bigger rating, think about it from this standpoint in your go-home show, if you put Shaq, now whether you start the show at the Shaq match, or you put it at 9, now you're going off the air with your stars, that, that says a lot about your company going into your pay-per-view, and I don't think they get it right now, Tony Khan has to get better with this, and I mean, I, I just... It is what it is. I mean, look, that tag team match, you, you can't sell me or anyone for that matter that that's going to buy, pay, that's going to sell pay-per-views. It's just not. And that's another thing. They go off the air with all these participants from this casino battle royale with this tag team. And are, are you selling a pay-per-view based off of this match? No. Hell no. Where's your star power in this match? There's none. You sell your pay-per-view with your stars. And again, I'm talking about the casual. I'm not talking about the diehard. Of course the diehard's buying this pay-per-view regardless. And listen, not to knock this this casino battle royale, whatever. I'll talk about that in a second. But the recent battle royal that they had involving the tag teams was good. But do you really need to have another one so close in proximity? That was only a couple weeks ago. Now you're going to put it on pay-per-view. It's kind of wearing out its welcome, if you will. I don't know. I just I feel like they can be better with some of the decision-making. But hey, listen. They've only been around X amount of time. They'll probably learn or they're going to fail. I don't know. By the way, I was talking to... I was in a text message with Corey Richmond, who's on the Workshoot podcast with Jason Brooks. I have promoted the show many times here. And I didn't know this. I didn't know they have 70 male contracted wrestlers on this in this company. And 30 women. 70! You have a two-hour show. And yeah, whatever you want to make dark, because it's on YouTube. Lately, they've gone to two hours with that. But how many people are watching that dark show? I don't know. I don't have the numbers. I don't want to dump on it and say nobody's watching it. But if you have 70 wrestlers... How many times can you see the same person? Right? I mean, yeah, you talk about the territory days where people would leave and you wouldn't see them for X amount of time. But it's hard to build consistency with an individual and get them over on the mid-card. Of course, their stars are going to be the same. You're going to see the same faces on a consistent basis. But other guys on the lower level, who are they? How do you get them over when there's 70 of them? Now, look, I know probably a third, if not maybe half are strictly on dark, so you're only seeing half the roster, half the 70, I should say, on Dynamite every week, too many, too many people, you don't need to keep signing people, stop, you're forgetting about people on your roster that you can elevate, instead of bringing in the next hot ticket, and meanwhile, the next hot guy, is he as good as the guys you already have, there's a lot of guys in this company that just almost forgotten, so talk about the Shaq match itself, I mean, listen, it is what it is. I mean, he took the crazy bump on the table. Uh, Jade Cargill was okay. She wasn't the worst you'll ever seen. I mean, listen, that'll always go to Big Swole. <laughs> it doesn't get worse than Big Swole. 
which, by the way, we haven't seen on TV in so long. Hopefully, they sent her back to wrestling school. You know she's married to Cedric Alexander? You would think he would teach her something here and there. I mean, Jesus. Anyway. So, what transpired after the Shaq match is online. I don't know if it's still there, but a video was shown of Shaq going into the ambulance. This is incredible, by the way. This is so bad. And then, seconds later, him coming out and running away. Now, they tried to hide it as much as they could, but someone captured this on video. This is terrible by Tony Khan. How do you not have that ambulance drive away and then shack it into a car? For your audience to see that. Now listen, they've done nothing with this company to make us think it is real or it's wrestling. It looks more like cosplay and everybody's having fun, blah, blah, blah. Which again, the casual fan who wants to see fights. You got to make things look like a fight. And not to get off topic, but... Shaq just getting out of the ambulance and being captured on video, that's that's horrible. And then I learned that the next night on TNT, Shaq appeared and was un he looked unharmed and he was normal and, and like are you kidding me? If you're gonna get in bed with the NBA and you're gonna do your wrestling, you have to explain to them how if we're gonna have Shaq in an ambulance, he has to either A not be on the next broadcast or B, he should be at home resting, recovering from the injury he sustained to make it look even close to real. Listen, we know this business is a work, we get it, but it's the point of making it look more real because people laugh at it when it looks fake. A lot of people do. People mock people who are still wrestling fans. It's a fact. I know them. They exist. Who's going to give a shit? How do you give a shit about something like that? So yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty bad that Shaq was on the broadcast the next day saying he's fine. What? He's fine. How are you fine? Alright, so let's get into the pay-per-view. Enough with the go-home. So the show kicks off, which I didn't understand this. If I'm booking the show, I talk about match placement. They start with Jericho, MJF versus the Bucks. And when you think about that go-home show I just spoke of, You're getting off the air with the Casino Battle Royale. With everybody fighting. So here's where the match... This was this blew my mind. I mean, some of the things they do in this company just make you shake your head. Again, going back to what I talk about with it looking phony. So there's a spot where Jericho grabs his bat. I think the ref's back was turned, strapped. I don't remember exactly. And he hits Matt Jackson with his bat. MJF... Hits Jackson with the heat seeker. Hits him with the heat seeker. Right near the ropes. Guess what happens? I'm going to ask. Do you think Matt Jackson got his foot on the rope? No, he didn't. Do you think Nick came in to break it up? Nope, he didn't. Guess what Matt did? Matt kicked out. That's a fucking joke. How is Matt kicking out of that? He got hit with a bat. And then he took the heat seeker and he kicked out on two and a half. This is why you can't take this stuff seriously. Nothing pins a guy. Nothing. You have to kill a guy to pin him. I think it would make more sense to start the pay-per-view with that Casino Battle Royale. And I, I felt like MJF and the Bucks match should be higher on the card. That's their decision. So this match, let's be honest about this match. It was decent. It's just another Young Bucks match, and I know people are going to hate me for saying that. There's everybody with the pom-poms on the Bucks matches. 
but it's just a bunch of moves with no body parts being worked, no psychology. Some people will tell you they're telling the story. I don't know what story they're telling, that we can hit all of our moves and kick out of everything you give us. That's what it is. Listen, I used to be a fan of the Bucks, but as you start to watch their matches, you start to see the flaws that people talk about. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just looks so phony. I'll say the highlight of the match for me was when MJF started doing the old uh, Bucks when they would, back in Ring of Honor days, when they would do the suck it before they got the cease and desist from uh, Vince. And then they would do the two sweet. So the fact that he was doing this had me laughing. The Bucks can't really say it because of the cease and desist. But it had me thinking, like, did I really enjoy the Young Bucks matches or did I like them more because of the suck it and the two sweet? I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of their moves were cool at the beginning, but when you see the same move for five years, you're like, oh, okay, it's, I see what it is now. If he's by the ropes, you can position him to where he get his foot on the rope, or Nick has to come in and break it up. Oh, God, some of the things they do, it's, it's painful. You can bang your head against the wall watching it. So then, of course, the Bucks, who have to get every move in, eventually hit the Meltzer driver and win the match. I feel like, you know, Wardlow got involved in the end, but... There's no heat in this match. It's just a match. That finish is so uneventful, you could care less. I mean, there's got to be more to that finish. It's just like they made MJF and Jericho look like mid-carters. I mean, you could argue they are at this point, but I mean, those guys are stars, and they just beat them. There was no, like, I I want a a more creative finish. I just, I felt like that could have been better. Oh, well. So now we get the tag team Casino Royale. Alright, I'm not going to dump on this match entirely because I don't think it was bad. I don't think it was bad at all. I'm just going to tell you that I thought the ending was really good with Ray Phoenix eliminating Jungle Boy. So now we're going to get Phoenix and Pac against the Young Bucks. I mean, they've done this before though, right? Where the team that won the Royale was supposed to get a title shot, but then they had to wait. Remember that time? It was like, I forget who got the title shot instead, and then they had to wait. So there's always ridiculous booking here. So, I want to believe that either this Wednesday or next Wednesday, we're going to get Pac and Phoenix against the Young Bucks. And, uh, yeah, that should be a good match. I mean, it's going to be spotty crazy, but, oh well, that's what they do. But I'll be fair. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was, it was borderline good. Listen, as the match built, I thought it got better, and I was really impressed with this. And here's the one thing that impressed me more. This is the third match on the card, right? Not not including the buy-in. And we finally got a hold. We got a hold. I was like, what? Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? She, uh, Mizugami, Mizunami. Is that how you say her name? <laughs> Sorry. She grabs Sheeta in a, in, a, in a chin lock. I was like, well, that's a fucking hold. That's wrestling. Yes. Uh, so it took three matches, but we got a hold. By the way, this is funny. They show Al Snow in the audience. And how apropos was it <laughs> during this match that Rio Mizunami, she grabs Sheeta and hits the old school. Remember when Al Snow was, was with head and he would headbutt people? She does this to Sheeta. And I marked out. I started chanting, head, 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 head. Yeah, nostalgic. That was funny, though. And like I said, the match built and it got better. Uh, I mean, the, the the this is awesome chant is so overblown and so unwarranted in many aspects. This match that was not awesome. It was good. 
Uh, Shida finally wins at the end after about, what, eight different variations of a knee. Just, I mean, the last one was cool, but how many knees do you need to beat somebody? It's like watching Omega and his thousand V-triggers per match. Ladder match up next. This is for the number one contender, TNT title. And the mystery man is revealed, and it is former Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champion Ethan Page. Yes, hold your applause. Riveting, right? Riveting. So many people go, oh, Ethan Page. Yeah, I'm sure he really popped a rating on Impact Wrestling, right? Listen, I want to dump on the guy because I know he's a talent. I know he's a good heel. I get it. But are we really getting excited about Ethan Page? Some people are just so pom-poms. It's ridiculous. Relax, people. The women's title match. Okay, initially I was going to... I was anticipating not liking this. So, all right. This, this match, this tag battle royal, whatever you want to call it, it was, it was decent. There was a lot of good spots in it. I'm not going to just dump on Spot Fest. This is the match where you're going to do Spot Fest. Oh, wait, I called it the battle royal. I'm sorry. This is the ladder match. I misspoke. Pardon me. But Max Caster comes out. <laughs> and listen, I like this guy. People are in the middle with him. People like to do the whole, oh, he's a bootleg John Cena, whatever. Listen. Other guys can rap, okay? You can do another rapping gimmick. It's not a big deal. If people like what he says, they're going to like him. He does kind of like that battle rap where he just mocks people, which who doesn't like that? That's fun. They made a TV show out of it on MTV. So he comes out and has one of his best lines ever, saying that he has more blood on his hands than Governor Cuomo. And I popped. I, that's a great line. That is so good. <laughs> and great reaction from the crowd to on that line. Everybody, ooh. So, uh, yeah, Max Caster is a potential future star if they don't screw that up. Hopefully one day we'll get it to hear him cut a series promo without the rapping. That'll be interesting. So, during this match we get Spider-Man, Metrosexual Cody. Yeah, I... <laughs> I mean, do you see the way Cody prances around sometimes? He just looks really bizarre. Sometimes he has that, like, stardust to him. If you watch him prance around. He's kind of, like, Spider-Man-esque. It's weird the way he moves. So he takes this Canadian destroyer from Penta. Penta has like, I don't know, 30 names. He takes it on the ladder. <laughs> he takes it on the ladder. Like, that should be... We talk about Shaq going to the ambulance. How is that not an ambulance angle? You take a Canadian destroyer on a ladder. It's like, what are they doing? So Cody leaves, but doesn't really leave. He goes into the tunnel where he's attended to by Arn Anderson, Jerry Lynn, and the physician... And they're all telling him not to go back. So the match continued. You see Cody kind of in the tunnel. And it was still, you could tell they were semi-focused on Cody, even though the guys are in the ring. And now he's back on Dynamite. He's on the broadcast table last week. And without any explanation, he's in this ladder match. Like, okay, what are you doing? I don't know. I mean, look, I have no problem with it if it made sense. Why was he off TV for so long? I don't know if he got hurt. Maybe somebody knows about that. So after everything, <laughs> all these guys are on the ladder, right? And then so I thought Archer was going to win. And then he starts cleaning house. Here's the one thing about Archer I'll say. I'll say this about him. He bumps way too many times to these small guys. He's a big guy. Why is he flopping around like a, like a fish? For guys that weigh 100 pounds less than he does. It's so bad. 
So then they do this whole spot, of course, on the ladder. Everybody gets on the ladder. Everybody's falling off the ladder, pushing off. It's a typical ladder match involving five, six guys. Uh, finally, and thankfully, Cody got thrown off the ladder. I mean, I was like, for a second, is Cody going to win this? Please, no. I was really close to calling him Triple H if he had won this match. But thank God they know better. It's like they got to build some stars. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't make much sense, which is par for the course with AEW. You remember back several months when they started to feature Scorpio Sky as a single? They started doing these vignettes on him, and then he started to appear on Dynamite, and I think he won a match or two before finally losing. I don't remember to whom he lost to, but then he just kind of vanished. Like, do you remember that? It was so weird. Like, all of a sudden, he's on Dynamite, and then he's gone again. Now, I don't know if he... uh, was on dark for a while because i don't watch it i don't know who does he's the last one up on the ladder throws the guys off and he wins the match so scorpio sky is your number one contender i have no problem with him winning that's cool uh he's gonna get the number one he's gonna get the tnt title shot i believe this week against darby allen not sure exactly uh only difference in sky this time which is pretty good i like this in terms of his character he seems to have an attitude, so he's a borderline heel. Let's see where they go with that. I think this company overall needs more distinguished heels because there's way too many tweener baby faces walking around. But yeah, the, the ladder match overall was decent. It was not ridiculous, so I give it a thumbs up, I guess. One thumb. How's that? Not two. One. Uh, okay, so now they announced that they're signing... And I was just like, what are you doing? So they, and again, let's talk about before. How many guys do they need on this roster? Uh, so it's Christian Cage. In 2021, you cannot pay me to care about Christian Cage. He's so generic at this point. I, I, I don't get it. I don't know how anyone could care. You want to call him a legend or whatever. And anybody, I guess if you're in the business 25 years, you're a legend regardless of what you've accomplished. I know he's won multiple tag team titles. I know he's been IC champion, TNA champ, whatever. I just, I've never been a big fan of Christian Cage. I'm sorry. In fact, I remember back in, what was it? Was it nine? No, it was later than that. Was it 11 or 12 when he's in TNA? And I was like, I don't care about Christian Cage. I never got excited from, by one, not one time. So now you got Christian Cage and Brian Cage in the same company. Will they do a battle of the cages? Or will they be brothers? I, it's just, uh, whatever. So speaking of which, we get Sting and Darby Allen against the aforementioned Brian Cage and Absolute Ricky Starks. I love that nickname, by the way, Absolute Ricky Starks. And I, I firmly believe this guy is a future star and they need to make it happen sooner than later. So now we're from an undisclosed location and also, of course, this is a cinematic match, which I knew they were going to do. But, I'll say this. If you watch Sting the last couple of weeks, he takes that crazy bump on the power bomb from Cage. Then, well, if, was it last week or the week before? He's engaging in these, like, in-the-ring battles with guys. Where he's doing the Stinger Splash. He's hitting guys with moves. He's bumping. I'm like, okay, I know he's over 60. But this doesn't look like your regular 60-year-old guy. So I was like, why can't they do a regular match? And sometimes I feel like they're just doing the cinematic match to say, hey, we did a cinematic match. They didn't have to, I don't think. Now, again, I'm inclined to believe this was taped. I firmly believe it was taped. 
And if it wasn't, then that that doesn't make any sense because they, they they have a ring in this warehouse. I don't know why they had a ring. If, the match itself was okay, but I suppose if they're gonna do this quote unquote street fight, then this makes some sense to do it in the warehouse and not in front of the crowd and having it taped. A lot of people didn't like the commentary for this match. Uh, it didn't bother me. I know people are on the fence about it. Uh, the only annoying part was Taz, because let's be fair, Taz is just super annoying on commentary. I don't know whoever, anyone who ever thought he was good at it. I don't get Taz on commentary. I mean, look, I the graveyard match was well done, as, we, as we've talked about. And I don't think that needed commentary. And let's be fair, WWE commentary is bad anyway and ruins matches. But this match, either way, it didn't bother me. And of course, uh, Sting gets the win. Somebody won. I don't. <laughs> Sting and Darby Allen won. That's all I know. So up next, we get the main event: the exploding barbed wire match for the yes for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. All right. So the finish was terrible. We talked about it. I mean, clearly the worst. Worst explosion ever. People are just losing their mind online. Uh, most people scoff at the idea of having this kind of match in 2021. And let's be fair. If you're trying to build a mainstream audience, how many people are going to care about an exploding ring death match? I mean, it pretty much devalues your title. Because this is, let's be fair, it's a garbage match. It is. It's an indie garbage match or a Japan match that has its certain select audience. Now, while I agree with all of that, I'm going to be fair here. Aside from the finish and the poor explosion, this match was better than I anticipated. Both guys did a great job of psychology, avoiding the barbed wire at many times, and along with the explosions. A lot of this wasn't bad. And listen, there's no doubt both of these guys watched the Onita matches from FMW. Because if you watch their mannerisms mannerisms closely in this match, you could tell they're mimicking a lot of what Onita and Terry Funk did and other guys involved in these style matches. And unless you go back and watch those matches in the early to mid-90s, there's a whole new audience out there that have never seen it. So, of course, you would never know these guys were copying their match per se. And, speaking of the poor explosion... There is an online, there's a YouTube video of Moxley addressing the crowd afterwards where he basically made fun of the explosion and blamed Omega in the process. I I don't know what happened. I haven't heard about it. Maybe you're more privy to what happened with the explosive um, than I am. So, apologize not knowing. But it was a botch. It was a great botch. Moving along to NXT. The Way. Yes, the pun of The Way. The faction, The Way. They're killing Austin Theory with this dumb shit. I mean, what are they doing? Now they have him in therapy sessions with Gargano and the rest of it. Indy Hartwell, they're doing the whole... Everyone's having now sympathy for Dexter Loomis and the Stockholm Syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And all this is just so hokey. It's so raw SmackDown shit. This is one of the major problems that NXT is devolving into. And listen, I... I, I People love Triple H, and I feel like he has guys in his ears now that are, that love this hokey shit. I don't know if Jeremy Barash is still there. I'm inclined to believe he is. But he did a lot of that hokey shit in, in Impact, especially with the broken Matt gimmick and all those matches. 
And this is not what NXT is. I mean, Austin Theory, I don't want to say he's being ruined because, you know, he's so young. Obviously, guys can recover. But this is just stupid stuff. It's just, who cares? If you care about this, I mean, more power to you. I want to go back a little bit. The Karrion Cross and Santos Escobar match, which I believe was two weeks ago. I mentioned it here on that podcast that I've done almost a month ago that was leading up to this match. When you watch these guys in the ring, do you see the size of Santos Escobar? In fact, I remember the first time he was, and I said this here on this podcast for that particular episode. Go back and listen to it. He was introduced the first time by that ring announcer. I don't know who made the mistake. At weighing 215 pounds. Then the following week, they corrected it and called him 205. There is no way Santos Escobar weighs 205 pounds. He's, he's very close to... Well, not close. I know Cross is a monster. But he is not a cruiserweight. So when you're billing a match between your former champion, the heavyweight champion of your brand against the current cruiserweight champion that looks bad it looks really bad and the only way it would have made more sense is if they had cross cost escobar the title so now escobar leaves the cruiserweight division and then goes against cross because if you're watching this match you're like carrying cross is bumping for a cruiserweight champion what is that it makes the former champion of your company look weak I mean, look, Escobar at this point should drop the title and be going after the North American title. He's too big to be a Cruiserweight champion. I just don't get it. I mean, this match would have worked better for me if if he weren't a Cruiserweight. Um, The match itself was decent. I mean, look, they had a lot of good exchanges. Uh, I thought it was really good and well done. And, of course, Cross got the win. No issues there, but that's my gripe with it. Hopefully Hopefully Escobar can leave that division now. So the Undisputed Era is no more. We had a lot going on with that in the last few weeks. Adam Cole turns on everybody, basically. And look, that was inevitable. Adam Cole is better as a heel. We know that. His babyface stuff was weak. So the heel turn was was apropos. I just think this. And and by the way, I just had a thought because I saw the end of NXT recently. And Adam Cole comes out on the stage, and of course he's going to get the title shot against Balor next week. And while I like the Adam Cole heel turn, I thought, wait a second, if they do a heel turn, now I know McAfee's been on TV for a while, but if McAfee comes back, could you imagine if McAfee helps Cole beat Balor to win the title? I think that would be great. So this way there would be like a tandem now with those two guys. Two heels, they decided to they decide to join forces. I love that idea. Cole and McAfee on the same side. That works for me. So, I don't know what your thoughts are on the Cameron Grimes storyline. I know a lot of people love it. One of my boys loves it more than anyone I've ever seen. He's like, to the moon! <laughs> and kiss my grits. But, I mean, look, it's, it's kind of a Beverly Hillbillies thing, you know. White trash, gets wealthy... However, it may have happened, of course, this was on the GameStop stock and storyline. And, of course, he references Ted DiBiase all the time. He does all the old gimmicks and bits. 
And a lot of it is fun. Look, it's entertaining. I'm not going to dump on that stuff. That's funny. That is legit comedy, unlike the Gargano and the Way being in a therapy session. That's stupid. Why do they keep beating Bronson Reed? Bronson Reed, I think, has been, not repackaged, but he's been given new music, kind of a new look on multiple occasions. Yet he's in there this past week, and he loses. He loses, albeit Screwjob, to Cameron Grimes. Why is he even in this match? I want to get Bronson Reed over more, unless they just don't think that highly of him. I don't know. I mean, for him to just keep doing these jobs, I don't get it. You want to protect the guy a little. And yeah, he technically got screwed by LA Knight. So he had an out. So now he's going to, I guess, feud with LA Knight. And by the way, if LA Knight is a new guy coming in, is LA Knight going to lose to Bronson Reed? I, I think not. And speaking of which, let's talk about the debut of LA Knight. I know he, he appeared on TakeOver initially. Listen, I've always said that LA Knight, a.k.a. Eli Drake, has always had potential superstar written all over him. If you listen to his cadence, listen to his mic work for a second. He's a cross between The Rock and Austin. He says a lot of what they say the same way, if you get it. And look at it, look at the way Guy looks. He's, he's in great shape. He looks like an athlete. He's, I mean, he looks like a million bucks, and he's an above-average worker. I'm not going to tell you he's great, but look, when you talk about superstars, The Rock never had to be a great worker. Stone Cold was a great worker and transformed into the guy that did five moves and booted everybody the whole match. You don't have to be a great worker to be a main eventer. And here's another thing. Just like Karrion Cross, who I can only imagine his call-up is, is soon. I don't know. I mean, look, I talk about how he's not in a title picture. I don't get it. How is Karrion Cross waiting in line for his title shot when he came back after an injury? And now he's just going to sit there. And he's a heel, mind you. So if they ever did do the, where Adam Cole wins, and then what are you going to do? You're going to do heel versus heel, unless Balor's going to keep it, and then eventually Cross gets in and gets the title. But I would much rather just put Cross on the main roster. I mean, at some point. Because if they're not going to use him right, then there's no point to him being there. I don't get it. So back to L.A. Knight. I mean, look, if Vince McMahon sees him and knows about him, he's getting called up. I, I don't see how he doesn't get called up soon because I think he has money written all over him. I mean, I just I wouldn't see how Vince wouldn't think that he's money. So now we get this. This uh, did you see last week the women's tag team match? There was a screw job finish involving the referee coming in from Raw. And there was a lot of hokey stuff going on there. And uh, Baszler and Nia Jax, my whole, retained the title. And now uh, William Regal is going to announce this coming Wednesday that there's going to be something that changes the brand. You can only guess it's going to be the uh, brand new NXT Women's Tag Team title, which which does make sense. I just don't know how many tag... Well, they have enough tag teams to do the tournament, so I guess it's okay. It'll survive. And of course, I already mentioned Cole versus Balor this coming Wednesday. We're going to get Io Shirai against Tony Storm. It should be a decent match. I think Io is due to lose at some point, so I can see her title ring coming to an end on Wednesday. Uh, speaking of Wednesdays, it's been reported that NXT will be moving to Tuesday. So you'll have to pardon me, though. I've not seen the story whether or not when it's going to move. So if you know and I don't, I apologize. You can tweet me at Morton's underscore law and tell me to go fuck myself. That's fine. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when it moves to Tuesday, 
how they do unopposed. And I'm also curious to know how many of the AEW audience that are true wrestling fans. Listen, you you could dump on all the AEW fanboys and what it is, but there's a lot of fans of. I think there's a lot of people there that would watch NXT if AEW didn't exist. Because they're a fan of that indie style that it, that NXT will present with a lot of those guys that have been in the indies. So I'm curious to see if they get an extra hundred thousand, extra hundred two thousand. Now look, nobody can deny how great the in the in ring work is on NXT, but let's be fair, it's just not compelling right now. It's just not. So we'll see if they get a little boost or not on Tuesdays when it does happen. I mean, if they somehow jump from 600K to 7 or 800K, then it'll be worth it. But if the number stays in the fives and the sixes, then uh, I don't know what USA is going to do going forward. Maybe that show gets the axe at some point and ends up back on the network. I wanted to talk about Monday Night Raw because I had seen the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. And I was curious to see what they would do with The Miz and, and going forward. So they did this really good build. And this is what, again, AEW should have done with Shaq. They tease Lashley and The Miz at the beginning. They tease him at the middle. And then they finally give it to you at the end. And Lashley wins. And it was well done. Everything about it was well done. No complaints. Just curious. I mean, I don't know where they're going to go with this. And while they had a good build, unfortunately, and I was really disappointed in this because I was hoping they would get an increase. But the rating took a bit of a dip. Not a significant dip. And let's see what happens tonight and how they portray Lashley as a champion and what the build is towards Fastlane, I believe, is next. Um, I just hope, listen, I'm inclined to believe that he's going to be a transitional champion. And McIntyre will win at WrestleMania. Or I hope not. I hope Lashley at least gets to go to WrestleMania. But who knows? I mean, I don't know. Who could else take his place? I don't want to see Sheamus. God, no. I don't I don't know who else they could do if Lashley is going to lose the title before WrestleMania. I feel like he's been there so long. Why not? Just let him do it. And then, of course, you can give the Drew the big main event in front of an audience. Because, of course, they're going to be in, a, in front of a crowd at Raymond James Stadium this time, unlike last year. So, yeah. Let's, let's, let's do that. I mean, and not for nothing. I've talked about this with friends. I would love it if some way, somehow, and it would take a double turn, but if some way, somehow, Lashley ended up beating McIntyre with the crowd perhaps getting on his side. I don't know if that will happen, but if there was ever that moment where you could hear the crowd chanting for the Hurt Business, because remember, go back to the Nation of Domination days, similar faction, and the crowd started to chant for them, and that's why The Rock eventually turned face in the whole nine. So could the Hurt Business turn face and could McIntyre turn heel, and it would be even, this would even work perfectly for the double turn, is if Paul Heyman came to ringside and started to support McIntyre. Oh, then it's just, it's gold. It is gold, and then Lashley can beat McIntyre, and that, that and oh, so well done if they go that route. I would love to see that. All right, well, that wraps up this uh, wrestling segment. We're coming back on the other side with some NBA All-Star Weekend and a little NFL, Morton's Law, coming back after this. Morton's Law, back for this final segment. We're going to talk about sports. All-Star Weekend, NBA. So news breaks yesterday that, well, I should say Sunday, recording on Monday, 
Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons will not be in the game due to COVID precautions based on them being in a barbershop with someone who tested positive. So that put a little damper on the game, but listen, it was star-studded. I didn't watch a lot of the game. I saw the first quarter. Listen, I know a lot of people out there, not me, not me, of course, but I know a lot of people out there had the first quarter over at 90.5. And listen, there were there was no defense played in this first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. I didn't see the second half, so I couldn't tell you. I just saw the box score. And it was excruciating for those who had the 90.5 over because here's what you got to see in that first quarter. Zion Williamson missed about 10 dunks. About 10. I don't know. Maybe more. I couldn't believe it. It was like, can, can you get off the ground and dunk the ball, please? It was incredible to watch. I mean, at, at some point, I'm sure he wishes somebody could dig him a hole and jump in and never come out. It was just That was beyond embarrassing. And in that first quarter, other than a couple Kyries and, and I don't know, maybe did Harden hit one? Harden hit one or two. No one made a three other than Steph Curry. Steph Curry was the only consistent three-point shooter in that first quarter. So if you think about all the dunks Williamson missed and then all the threes everybody missed, I think combined they shot 30% from three in that first quarter, which is typical NBA, by the way. People love to toot the horn about, oh, all these guys shoot these threes from 30 feet. You got Lillard pulling up from 35. I know Curry made one almost from the logo. I mean, but that's Steph Curry. You got all these copycat guys. It's just like, let's just shoot from shoot from the other side of the half-court line. Why not? Let's shoot from the three on the other side. It's, it's absurd. Listen, if they ever make a four-point shot, I will not watch the NBA. I will never watch again. I don't care what game is presented to me. I will never watch. It's a joke. It is a joke what this league has become. I hate watching it. I mean, of course, there's your exceptions to the rule. There are some great teams. There's some good players. And it's just ruined by this, this style of play that's awful. Moving along, LeBron James. This is interesting during the week because this led me to having some fun on Twitter. So LeBron James had a snarky comment towards Paul George. And also, by the way, he had another one about the Utah Jazz that I just read about today. So he made the comment about Paul George saying, oh, he's, not, he's picking him on his team, but this is the only time he's going to root for him because they're enemies and... I'm like, what? How is that snarky? So I go on Twitter and I'm like, snarky? I mean, how about you, you can make a comment about Paul George. How about this? How about I'm going to pick him on my team? And hopefully, unlike in the playoffs, he'll be clutch in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's snarky. Shots fired. Paul Heyman would love that. By the way, if you go look at Mike's tweet, I tag Paul Heyman on that. Because, yeah, I write a great promo. I mean, what? And then, and then also... I'm going to talk about this in a second. A player's resting pre-All-Star game. But another snarky comment could have been from LeBron. He could have said, hey, I'm going to pick Paul George on my team. But hopefully he won't rest and miss the game. It's like, why are these guys resting? Are you kidding me? Imagine that. You're resting before the All-Star game. It's like, Curry rested. George rested. They had, what, three days off before this game? Did you need a rest? It's a joke. Listen, I remember when the NBA players were men. I don't know what you call them today. I mean, again, exceptions to the rule. They're all tough guys in the league. LeBron finally rested, which, look, to be fair, it was overdue. He was probable for every game this season. I have no issue with him taking that game off, but did you need to take the game off before the All-Star break, knowing you're going to have three days off? I don't know. Looking ahead to the second half of the season, look, I'm going to be curious of what trades are made. 
A lot of trades will impact certain teams. A lot of people talk about Giannis needing another star to compete in the East. I mean, Middleton, I feel, doesn't get it done. I mean, Drew Holiday being back and healthy could help more. But I just don't see Chris Middleton in the clutch being a big player. I've seen Middleton enough this year to say this. When there's a good defender on him, Chris Middleton will vanish. I saw it in a game earlier this season when Avery Bradley guarded him. Middleton, I think, is 6'7", 6'8", Avery Bradley 6'3". And Middleton couldn't get a shot off. That would concern me if I'm the front office in Milwaukee. I'm trying to pull a deal to get Giannis some more help. I don't know what that would require. I don't know what kind of package deal. But I don't like their chances again in the playoffs. I think the Sixers are really good. And, and they're showing more improvement as the season goes on. And Beat is turning into a an all-time great center. No one can deny that. He's so incredible. Talent is, he's, I mean, limitless in terms of his ceiling. He's still, I don't think he's reached the ceiling. He's just getting better. And if Simmons is more aggressive, I like the Sixers in the playoffs. It's just, I just don't know who could, who could. I mean, look, the Celtics have to make a trade. They have to make a trade because, as I said on this podcast, Kemba Walker is not right for that team. I know he's going to have his moments where he gets hot shooting the ball. But ultimately, if he's taking the ball out of the hands of Brown and Tatum on a consistent basis... And if they're not the focal point getting their shots, I don't think it works. I don't think it works. They need a pass-first point guard. If anything, I would take... I don't. I mean, I, listen, I don't know if Rondo's available, but <laughs> I would bring Rondo back to Boston and have him playing in crucial moments in the postseason just to get those guys better shots. Because Kemba Walker, he's... I, I hate to say this, he's, he's another one of these shit-shot shooters. He, he's, he, he has poor shot selection many times in the game. I firmly believe that if you have Tatum and, Tatum and Brown start the game, and they go the first eight minutes, and then you could give Kemba a rest. Like, he could start the game, but then Kemba comes out earlier than that, and then eventually comes back in late first quarter, so he's the primary focus of the offense going into the mid-second quarter when you bring Tatum and Brown back in. But I want them, I don't want him on the floor with them as much, because I think he hurts their progress. And look, uh, the Clippers, they're, they're so loaded. I mean, I don't know if they're going to make a deal. Do they need a deal? Again, do you trust Paul George? It goes back to what I just said about Kemba, guys that vanished in the playoffs. Can you trust Paul George? There's a game uh, this past week where Kawhi had a miss because of back spasms. And the Clippers in Washington. And look, the Wizards have played better lately, don't get me wrong. But it's still the Wizards, okay? Paul George has to carry this team to a victory. And sure enough, final two minutes of the game, Paul George had to take, he took so many bad shots. I mean, just typical Paul George, just firing up bad shot after bad shot, missing, and they lost the game. If you're Kawhi watching this game, what are you thinking? You have to be like, can I win with this guy? Is this guy going to come up and have a clutch game if I'm off at all? Just think about that. If Kawhi is off, nobody else is coming to the rescue. Paul George has to come to the rescue. He didn't last year. Will he do it this year? I don't know. So that that's up to the front office there if they want to pull the trigger on some other trade to bring somebody else in. But the second half of this league, although I hate it, it there's, a, there's some interesting parts. Don't get me wrong. Look, the Knicks are playing phenomenal. Um, they, they've turned the corner. They're no longer a bad team. That's for sure. You want to call it mediocre 
on the rise, whatever. There's so much potential there. Uh, yes. Uh, aside from the 30-point the blowout in San Antonio, which uh, they, they had a lot of guys out that game, so you can give them a mulligan for one bad game because then they returned in the next game and beat up on the Pistons, which everyone should do. And when it comes to trades, I'll say this about trades in general. You just want to be careful about making a trade just to do it because you could hurt the chemistry of your team that is already there. You don't want to take a guy and bring another guy in and then there, there's... If you have a good team already, unless you're getting a top 10 player, it's hard to mix that in sometimes because it just doesn't work. And that's the tough part about being a general manager. There's no doubt about it. You're like, hmm, can this guy work? Can that guy work? How does it mess it up? And you just hope for the best sometimes. But listen, I think the Eastern Conference Finals, unless something happens trade-wise, will be the Nets and the Sixers. I don't, I, I just don't see it being anything else. The Nets are going to roll when Durant comes back. I mean, their offense is a juggernaut, obviously, scoring over 125 a game. They're just going to beat the hell out of teams in the second half if all three are healthy. Now, again, with quote-unquote load management, all three of them will periodically take games off. So where only two of them will be on the court or perhaps sometimes one of them because that's today's NBA, load management. Got to worry about guys breaking down. Speaking of which... How many teams in the NBA did not play in the bubble last year? Remember when everything went to the bubble? Why are some of those guys still needing rest? They didn't play for how many months? They need rest too? I would have to look at the list. Listen, I might be calling guys out that don't deserve it, but there's too many guys resting. Let's Let's get into some college hoops. So March Madness is here. Early in the season, I had talked about it on this podcast about who I thought the four number one seeds were just based on how... I thought teams had looked in, believe it or not, in December and what I had seen. And yeah, I thought Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and then I liked Iowa. But then a couple teams have emerged in that time frame. And now you have multiple teams that could be the number one, the fourth number one seed. And oh my goodness, I don't know if you guys saw this game Sunday. Michigan, brutal loss at Michigan State. Just a brutal loss. This is one of the worst Michigan State teams. If you want to say they've improved over the last month, fine. But they're still a bad Michigan State team. And Michigan couldn't score. And their defense. I mean, listen. I'll talk to you about the end of this game. And I got on some Michigan fans about it. I know Jawan Howard has been a phenomenal coach. Whatever. Coach of the year. Whatever you want to call him. In the last two minutes of this game, they're in a zone. Why are you in a zone? And of course the zone failed. Michigan State got an open three. Boom. Game over. Why are you not man-to-man? I coach youth basketball. Last two minutes of the game, I'm not in a zone. Because I'm worried about the extra pass and how guys are going to react to it. And are they going to be there on that spot in time? I want to believe in my help defense if a guy gets beat off the dribble. I want to believe in that rotation. I don't want to leave it to a guy watching the ball, which is what happened here. Go look at the replay. Michigan State hits a shot in the last, I think, 90 seconds from three. And the Michigan players are on one side watching the ball. Ball reverses, wide open for three. That's bad defense. I don't want to say it's bad coaching. I'm sure Jawan Howard tells these guys how to play in a zone. But you're putting that risk there when you don't have a man-to-man. That's my take. And again, this Michigan team, they were world beaters. 
world beaters for a while. Then they got smashed by Illinois, 20 point loss. Illinois didn't even have one of their better players. Now, technically, they could still be on that one line if they have a couple of wins in the Big Ten tournament. Of course, if they win the Big Ten tournament, they're going to get the one line for certain. Uh, Iowa, like I mentioned Iowa earlier, they had some bad losses in the course of this season, but they've bounced back tremendously and now have themselves in the mix for being that fourth number one seed. And they lost one of their players too, Jack Nungy. So that was a hit, but they won a couple games without him. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, listen, the Big Ten is tough. So I have no issue with two Big Ten teams being on the one line at all. Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, all three of those teams are more than one. In fact, one of those three teams will be on the two line. So think about having one of those three teams in your bracket if you're Gonzaga, Baylor, or Illinois. Whatever transpires in the Big Ten tournament, you're going to have Illinois, Michigan, or Iowa and one of them is going to be left out and be on that two line. So you're looking at a really difficult number two right off the bat. Um, yeah, that conference is beyond loaded. So you're going to lose more games in that conference. Look, the Big 12 is good also. The SEC is on the rise. SEC under the radar with Alabama, Arkansas. I mean, Kentucky's not even in the picture anymore. Those teams are coming. They're in the top ten. I mean, look, it's going to take a lot. Let's be fair here. Regardless of how good Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, any of the teams I've mentioned, it's going to take a lot and a great effort to beat Gonzaga or Baylor. Now, Gonzaga has looked more dominant. And look, you could talk about their conference schedule and how weak that conference is. But when you go into, was it not? I don't remember if it was a, a neutral court, but they destroyed absolutely destroyed Virginia okay so that's all you need to know I'm gonna sound like Francesca okay okay. but they absolutely destroyed Virginia and they scored what almost 100 points on one of the better defenses in this country so good luck stopping Gonzaga I'm inclined to believe the national championship game will be Baylor against Gonzaga I'd be surprised if it isn't now, I'll say this about Baylor. They've looked vulnerable at times during the Big 12 conference games. Although, again, Big 12 is no pushover. There's a lot of good teams. And in moments in those games, they have struggled. They have a tough time scoring against a good defensive team. But lately, though, since they had, they had a bit of a COVID pause. Since they've come back from the COVID pause, they're back to what Baylor was in the first two months. They're blowing people out again, looking dominant. They destroyed Texas Tech on Sunday and scoring 88 points against one of the better defensive teams in this country. Texas Tech usually holds teams in the high 50s, low 60s. Baylor dropped 88 on them. That's impressive. And other teams under the radar that have a chance, I already mentioned Alabama and Arkansas. Uh, Houston. Houston's right there. How about Kansas, by the way? Anyone paying attention to what Kansas has done this year? Kansas has had like three or four seasons mixed into one. They started out strong, they got cold, they got strong again, cold, and now they're back to being kind of strong. That's, listen, that that's the ultimate Jekyll and High team, and you know, credit goes to Bill Self for having turned that around. If you watch them in the middle of the season where they could barely score against the likes of TCU, Kansas State, they were struggling to put 20 on the board and a half. Now, people talk about the recruiting, switching gears to the NFL, last, certainly not least, 
listen, there's been a lot of rumblings about the Bears now in the mix to possibly get Russell Wilson. And I had heard about Khalil Mack being part of the deal. If you listen to this podcast, I've been saying it for a while now. I would be willing to trade Khalil Mack for Russell Wilson or any other stud quarterback in a heartbeat. And it's nothing against Khalil Mack, but it's twofold. One, he hasn't been as dominant as people thought. Listen, you want to say he's double teamed? Fair. But I see many occasions where he isn't double teamed going against the stud offensive lineman on an opposing team. And Khalil Mack vanishes in games. I'm sorry. And some people have even questioned his professionalism in certain aspects. In terms of taking plays off. And I don't, I don't want to throw that out there because people say things and sometimes it isn't warranted. So I don't want to tell you Khalil Mack is dogging plays. But this is what people speculate. And just for the cap purposes, look, you have to get rid of somebody that's going to reduce your cap. And Khalil Mack makes X amount of money so it only adds up that he's going to go in the package. And the Bears are deep on defense. So I'm not. it's not like they're going to lose much on defense. And then you hear about Watson still being in the mix. As a Bears fan, listen, the Bears need either guy, let's be honest. I can't look at another season of Trubisky or Foles or whomever is at the helm. I mean, look, in a perfect world, if you want to tell me they're going to start the season with Nick Foles at quarterback and they draft Mac Jones, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've said it. I'll say it again. Mac Jones, Alabama quarterback, looks like a stud, looks like a can't miss. And I mean, I'm really would be excited to see that but again if they trade for Wilson or Watson equally happy so that wraps up another edition of Morton's Law oh real quick on the plugs I already mentioned the work shoot podcast check that out it's like they had in previous years under Bill Self but I don't know how he did it but he has them now ranked 11th in the country so they've turned it around again I know they have eight losses but they still it's still Kansas and Bill Self will find a way to win some games, I think. The Valerie Lynn Show. Check that out. She's funny. Just as miserable as I am. Uh, also, the Box Seat Suck podcast. A lot of fun. Baseball's around the corner, right? Hey, preseason games here. We'll be talking about it soon. Hopefully Aaron Boone doesn't die. Uh, you know, here, here we go. And again, thank you everybody for joining me. Morton's Law Podcast. See you when I see you. God bless. Gay sex.